punctum is the point where the image pierces you. Like a whip. Oh, fuck. Does a whip pierce? I don't know what <laughs> <laughs> What are you putting on your whip? <laughs> Welcome to the Poet Salon, a podcast where we talk to poets over a drink we prepared especially for them. I'm Duji Tahat. I'm Luther. What's on my whip, Hughes? <laughs> and I'm Gabrielle Bates. Uh, that order is my favorite one. Because <laughs> Gabby can never recover fast enough to say. I can't. <laughs> This week, we're talking with Michelle Penaloza about confession, contrast, and kasamas. Barcada over everything. Blah, blah. Our signature drink for this episode is fire and chrysanthemums, a cocktail made with chrysanthemum tea, scotch, and lemon juice, garnished with a burnt lemon. Michelle Penaloza is the author of Former Possessions of the Spanish Empire, winner of the 2018 Hilary Gravendick National Poetry Prize. She is also the, also the author of two chapbooks, Landscape Heartbreak and Last Night I Dreamt of Volcanoes. The recipient of fellowships and awards from the University of Oregon, Kundiman, Hugo House, and the Key West Literary Seminar, Michelle has also received support from Four Culture, Vona, and the Breadloaf Writers Conference. The proud daughter of Filipino immigrants, Michelle was born in the suburbs of Detroit, Michigan, raised in Nashville, Tennessee, and currently lives in rural Northern California. But before we slide over to our conversation with Michelle, we've got a question. What do you say when someone inevitably asks you, what do you write about? I hate this question so much. <laughs> Every writer hates this question, or every poet hates this question. Yeah. I mean, I mean okay, so yeah, what do, y'all, what do y'all say? I mean, it so much depends on who's asking the question and in what mm-hmm. context, and if I actually want to have a conversation with that person or not. Mm. Okay, I feel like we should like create an artificial scenario. Okay. So, your Lyft driver mm. during a 30-minute drive. Oh, dang. Um, oh, that's so hard. <laughs> what do I write about? I mean, I would probably just say, like, I write about daddy issues. <laughs> <laughs> and then they decide. They decide if we keep having the conversation or not, I think. And I think I'm revising my previous statement of, like, I don't change it, and I always just say daddy issues. And if people want to have the conversation, then usually we can go from there. If they don't, if they're unprepared for the conversation, it's like, right, let's not do this. Like, let's not waste our time. This is, that, that's not it. That's not the yeah. question you want to ask. I feel like I usually say, I write dark, creepy poems about barnyard animals. <laughs> <laughs> that's... And they're so usually like way too like like it's accurate and kind of like tells people they don't really want to know more. Lou, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like uh, it, I think it does for me depend on who asks the question because sometimes I can say, "All um, oh, right, about the black body." Or I can say, 
or write about sex and crows. But I think more recently I've said, I think I've been saying intimacy mm. and crows. <laughs> um, <laughs> dot, 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 and crows. Yeah, I think I'll always add and crows. For some reason, adding crows feels a little like, more like down to earth with people like oh okay yeah crows. relatable yeah, yeah. I, very I, relatable i know crows yeah <laughs> i'm like oh what about intimacy they'd be like what about intimacy now you're like oh gay sex like they have to like talk about that and like then, then i'm outing myself all of a sudden so it's like very very strange mm-hmm. um so i think intimacy and adding crows they're like oh cool very few people did ask how do you do that and that's the most annoying part mm. like oh how i'm just like girl <laughs> Where do we begin? We are in Walmart, girl. What do you really want to know? <laughs> I don't think I've ever had anyone ask me how. It is it's not usually fun. just like, oh, you're a writer? Oh, you're a poet? What do you write about? And it's, and it's always asked with, yeah, like the best of intentions, I think. Mm. Um, but it's just really hard to describe what poems are about beyond like death, beauty. <laughs> like what is any poem about? a body's relationship to time you know like there was a time when I was writing a lot of poems explicitly about like the south and Alabama and that history so that was an easier answer for me but I haven't been in the thick of that kind of work for a minute so it's harder to describe like I'm writing about messy family dynamics (laughs) like I don't know I think it's interesting because that question it's a very like workshop question like right like what is this poem about and i get the attempt like if you can't really say what's about then are you is the poem living up to the intention you have behind it it's a very workshoppy question mm-hmm. but also like most poems that i love don't have a singular aboutness it has a trajectory to something and so right. about anything to be honest <laughs> yeah a poem should not mean but be Did somebody say that yeah who? Who? I think his name is Archibald McLeish. That sounds right. The first U.S. poet. It's from Ars Poetica. Um, yeah, I think like in that question, there are two things that I struggle with. One is like just the artist statement. Like what actually am I working on? And how do I like articulate it in a succinct way for someone else to consume? And that, that's just like the constant question in the background, even for like applications or whatever. And then the second one is just like the social dynamic, right? <laughs> like, is what I'm going to say, like, now that you've found out that I'm a poet, that I write poems, you have a mental projection of what that is that you've now layered on top of me. <laughs> and you don't, like, you know enough to ask, um, you know enough, but not enough to ask, what do you write about? <laughs> Which then like makes it like, okay, how, what are those expectations? How is what I'm going to say suddenly going to change like the tone and like the subsequent conversation? And it's like, okay. I think like both of those, it just like lives at the nexus of both of those like uh, chronic problems I had, just my own uh, neuroses. It's a very difficult question. It's such a difficult question. And with things like trauma being at the heart of so much poetry, it's a question that people, I think, don't understand what they're like asking for in that moment. Like, it seems like a very innocent surface thing, but for a poet, it's like, wow, like I write poems so I can talk about things I can't talk about in normal language. Right. Therefore, like the chances that they're going to be really emotionally difficult for me to discuss with a stranger. <laughs> like, 
pretty good. <laughs> it's also such a, like a thing, like, you answer that question then, but, oh, for me, like, then I have to think, like, wait, is that what I'm worried about? Like, then I'm, like, testing myself to make sure I'm actually answering the question correctly. So I was like, where do they go to your work and, like, think, like, your shit is not about crows, bro. What are you talking about? So it was like, damn, like, put my foot in my mouth. And I also don't know, honestly don't know shit about my own work. So it feels like a, like a test in that way. Yes. And we were like, yeah, I don't want to answer that question. Yeah. But you do feel, yeah, I, I feel the test thing strongly. I feel like I feel, I feel pressure to have the right answer. And, but like also know that I'm never going to. <laughs> Just like, this is not it. This is not it. That's, that's, more, that's more of our it. problem though. Yeah. You know, like that's not what the person asking like they don't care if we're like failing <laughs> our yes. over in like a sentence or whatever but like, <laughs> yes. but like we feel that pressure we're like wait you we don't want to like create a cage around ourselves that then we like can't get out of <laughs> um I, I was in a workshop once this is reminding me where a lot of the discussion for some reason was around like what is this poem little a about and what is this poem big a about and the little a would be like this is a poem about going to the grocery store with your mom and the big a would be about this is about abandonment or like this is about so it'd be like what is the plot versus the thematic core i guess yeah. um that's interesting i like yeah. that idea i never heard of that before um that reminds me of uh a carl phillips wrote about like wrote a, a essay i think it's in poetry um politics Samir B. Yeah, and talking about that. like how, yeah, talking about like how he read his poem White Dog. Um and his woman was like, This is about this, this, and this. And he was just like, Yeah, but also like it's about me walking my dog. <laughs> like, so like it's funny because like it I'm sure both things, like it, little A, it is about him walking his dog, like big A it's about all these other like life essential things, like oh it's about love, it's about the shoe like domination over the white good life. But Especially because a lot of poems do have a big A and a little A. And I feel like people usually ask, they want to know the big A, but we can just give them a little A. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. I'm reminded to, like, a Warren Wilson workshop start with, like, a fly, what they call a flyover, which is, like, it's similar. It's, like, they get, you know, they do some of the formal stuff, which is, like, it's one stanza, 16 lines, irregular, whatever, nine sentences. Um, and it's about someone walking their dog and they get that out of the way. Mm -hmm. And then, then it gives everyone else sort of an opportunity to be like, oh, I didn't read to someone walking a dog. I actually read someone encountering a dog, like on a walk. And then like, that becomes like an interesting sort of side of conversation. But then if everyone sort of agrees on the plot, then you move on to the big A about, which is also an interesting approach. Yeah. That feels like the right order to me. Yeah. But who knows? So we, right. are we saying we tell people the little A of what our work is about in order to avoid talking about the big A? I just start lying about my work. <laughs> oh my God, yes. I feel like uh, Alexander Chi, the novelist, said something once about how you should have a fake answer to this question. Oh. So that you, you aren't like being emotionally vulnerable. It's kind of funny and you get to protect that part. <laughs> and I think yeah. he said, maybe like he writes about time travel, like when people ask or something. Um, so for, for a while there, I was like just making up stuff, but maybe I should get back to that. I'm gonna start doing that. Like I write about, I don't know, 
pineapples. Like I was gonna say that because I'm oh, wearing a pineapple shirt. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I said it because she's also in a pineapple shirt. I literally <laughs> stole the idea from her shirt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. Well, nailed it. I think we can go talk to Michelle now. Let's do it. Woo! Pineapples. Is that a whip sound? A whip with pineapples a whip. on it. P pineapple whip. <laughs> now I'm thinking like pineapple whipped cream. Okay, over to Michelle we go. So sometimes we like to start our interview by asking how you arrived at poetry. Oh, okay. How did you arrive at poetry? Well, I'm going to answer your question with a question also. Okay. Classic poet move. Um, I love it. Uh, actually, I, I use this as an anecdote to, to answer that question often because I was once in a workshop where the uh, leader began with asking the question, it was very intense, what hurt you into poetry yeah that's an oh. odin quote right or like an odin oh, idea i don't know being I, hurt into poetry oh. i believe so oh okay i we can fact check that later okay i didn't know that but i was just like whoa it's very <laughs> that very is a way to bring us into the room that's and way. yeah and so for me what hurt me into poetry is um loss at an early age and also like never you know being in a place like i grew up in um, I was born in the suburbs of Detroit, and I grew up in the suburbs of Nashville. And I was always, you know, on the kind of like the third leg of a triangle in that I always lived in places where there were, you know, dominant groups of people, and I was never a part of either. And um, just like trying to process that and figure that out, I guess. But yeah, and then, I don't know, there's more stuff. We'll get into it, but <laughs> that's, that's a beginning, I guess, sure. to talk about it. I'm curious what your poetry, you're in rural Northern California now. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious what your poetry life looks like there and how it compares to sort of the urban, suburban writing life you had in Seattle and Nashville. Yeah, That's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. What are you up to out there? Yeah. I Well, okay, so this this might be a thing to, to think about. I don't know how to say it. I mean, I'm like, so what I do in Northern California, my family doesn't really know what I do specifically okay. Okay. because... You're just They're out there. Very conservative. And like my mom is, she's 76. She's not going to get it. She also probably won't listen to this. <laughs> okay. So I don't know. I mean, we'll we, can, it up to we you. can talk about it. But um, basically, I grow cannabis in Northern California. And um, check out our farm, Ventoso Farms. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I started, I moved there to be with my person, my now husband, Alex. And um, so anyway, what my poetry life looks like is very different than my whole life looks very different than when I lived in Seattle. I live like the closest Trader Joe's is two and a half hours away in Santa Rosa. <laughs> oh, wow. The closest Shell. Costco is in Ukiah. And I don't know if you know anything about me, you know how important food is to me. <laughs> like my whole, like my, I have like a fully stocked pantry. Every time I go to um, any place with an Asian grocery store, I'm just like, my arms are just pulling stuff off the shelf, just <laughs> swiping the entire shelf. And so um, there, and in some ways that is related to like kind of po poetry life and poetry world in that like there is a lot of stimulation there, but it's not the same kind of creative 
or intellectual stimulation that I that I fed off of and like loved living in Seattle. It's not mm-hmm. like I can just like go to readings that are <laughs> happening or like go, you know, get a drink with a poet friend of mine, you know, so it's more isolating in that way. But there's been a lot more reflection for me be- because I don't have that extra stimuli. So so it's it's been different. I mean, it, I think I've had to figure out like the first year and a half of living there, I definitely didn't even really write that much I was just like sending my book out and like you know revising and trying to like like adjust to being a farmer very different (laughs) than working in an office or teaching um and like learn as much as I could from you know the people who had already been doing the farming and also that was also the year that um regulation began and so I was like doing that paperwork and like making that happen so there wasn't a ton of bandwidth for writing poems were you starting out as a farmer from like scratch uh yeah I mean as a farmer because a farmer is different than a gardener right like Mm -hmm. and I've I've always been a gardener like actually actually we should just leave this in the podcast because like (laughs) my I'll just I won't post it on Facebook I'll just post it on the gram (laughs) and then my mom won't click on it she doesn't even know how to listen to podcasts amazing so I think we can sometimes technology helps We'll just figure, I feel like we can figure it out because I think it's a rich conversation because it is like part of my life. And that is a thing, too, that's weird because it's like I would love to share that with the rest of my family. But mm. like, I don't know if y'all's families are like this, but like I can't be fully myself around all of them. Like yeah. I have to compartmentalize, um, you know, mm-hmm. like it's becoming more and more open now because of, you know, the, the laws are changing and everything. Mm-hmm. But like my mom is very. uh She's very black and white about everything. Like things are good or they're bad. Things are right or they're wrong. Things are illegal or they're not. <laughs> you know, and um, she would just think I was just like, you know, giving children heroin or something. And so I can't, you know, it's, yeah. it's not a conversation yeah. we can really have. And she's also, you know, older and like and later mm-hmm. in life. And I, I just know if she knew, she would just worry and I yeah. just she's already have she's already had it's like a, a form of, it's a form of love for her that you yeah, are trying yeah. to it's like know. anyway but sorry I went off on a random tangent there but it's the hot pot I blame the hot <laughs> pot but I'm like I'll sweat blame it on the hot still. pot um but that would be a good song blame it on the hot it pot. would be no it wouldn't be that interesting actually. <laughs> Take it back. but um so the difference between being a gardener and a farmer is like you you know when you're gardening if stuff doesn't work out I mean it sucks but you're not like oh I have no livelihood now, (laughs) you know? The stakes Um, are much lower. Yeah, the stakes are much lower. You know, like, oh, no, there's aphids on the tomatoes. Like, big deal, whatever. But, oh, no, there's aphids on all of the plants. Fuck, we're (laughs) fucked. You know, so it's the stakes are much higher. And just the scale of it is, like, totally different. Um, Yeah, like, growing something to bring to market is very different than just growing it for yourself, you know? So... So yeah, I've had to learn a lot of really random stuff. I can use like some power equipment now. I'd never used a like a like a big weed whacker before, like the ones that you like strap to yourself and like you know move. <laughs> Ghostbuster style. They can't style. see me. They can't see me, but I'm moving back and forth. <laughs> with my she looks chest. hot. She looks really hot. <laughs> Listeners, uh, yeah, take it from us. <laughs> um, 
Well, I want to say congratulations on publishing your first full-length collection, Former Possessions of the Spanish Empire. (laughs) Um, It's beautiful. And I, because it is your first full-length collection, I wanted to ask what that process was like for you, how it feels versus how you thought it would feel to have Mm. this book out in the world. I know Mm. you've had chat books before this, but I feel like the first full-length is different. Yeah, that's a great question. So how it feels versus how I thought it would feel. So I think I didn't quite understand how much work people put into, like, you know, like when someone's book comes out, you're like, oh, yay, they're everywhere. They're killing it. And it just looks like stuff just happens. Things do not just happen. People Mm -hmm. make them happen. (laughs) And it's hard. It's a lot of work. It's like a full-time job that most people can't treat as a full-time job. Yes, absolutely. And I'm really privileged in this way that like my life is now seasonal. So like I can, like basically the month of October, like I can't do anything besides be at the farm because that's harvest time. But otherwise, like I can move things around and and like I could never have done that living in Seattle because I was like hustling, working several jobs. Like it was hard to just like do anything on the weekend, (laughs) let alone like leave town to do something elsewhere, you know. So um, so I've been really lucky in that regard. But in terms of how it feels different, like I just didn't realize how much work goes into trying to get the work into people's hands because you think like or I thought okay it's published I did it done (laughs) now the ball's in your court yeah people who don't know who I am or care that I wrote a book you know like (laughs) it's yours now people are like who the hell are you you know so it's 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 a lot of work but also it's like it's a good uh, kind of indicator of how um, literature and poetry in particular is like a it's a it survives because of community and it is it proliferates because of people's generosity so like you know when you email you're like oh so and so um i know you're teaching at blah 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 i'm going to be in da 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 they're like oh yeah come through i'll i'll ask all the departments that have some like venn diagram with you, the <laughs> themes of your book like jane just hooked that up for me like being in well uh bellingham Willing- Thanks, jane Willingham, <laughs> bellingham you know like just the generosity of people who care about you or maybe who haven't even met you but who just are like okay you're a poet whose work i admire so then i'm i've just read up home here so yes of course come through or or whatever so so yeah all of those things yeah um, so I track your book, um, starting in where talking about family and things and moving outward where the vehicle is loosely tied to nature and beauty. Um, but it's all woven together by like heartbreak, right? So heartbreak mm. of the family, of the beloved, of the government, right? And so mm. this all reminds me of a project Gabby was, was talking about uh, that you did where you took people who had their hearts broken to the side where your heart was broken and had mm. them tell their stories. Mm-hmm. So I'm really curious about how um, heartbreak uh, kind of uh, uh, like not propels, not thrives, kind of um, institutes your creative process mm-hmm. um, and how those stories and other people's stories has taught you about your writing. Oh, that's, you guys have such great questions. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's like, oh, it's so nice to be asked like, oh, people have read my work, like real questions and not, especially like as a writer of color, like to be asked real questions. So thank you. <laughs> I really, really appreciate that. Um Well, I feel like I think that for me, heartbreak, I'm using bunny fingers, heartbreak is kind of um, a shorthand for 
for trauma or grief. Mm. And I think that informs my work in that kind of going back to the first question that you asked, um, that like, you know, what hurt you into poetry is just like processing how to, how to make sense of something that doesn't make sense. You know, like my dad dying when I was 16, very suddenly didn't make sense. So how did I, how could I make that not make sense, but how could I hold it in a way that it wasn't going to like destroy me, you know? So yeah. And actually this kind of goes, um, I'm going to tell, I, I'm, as you might be able to tell, I like tangents. <laughs> we love this tangents. This is the way that my brain works, but I'm just a storyteller. So when I was in Bellingham, one of Jane's students, like I, I did a reading, I led them through like a, a fun writing exercise. And then one of her students came up to me after and, you know, she had, her eyes were wet, you know, and she was like, so, and I don't even remember how she even brought it up, but essentially like she had lost her dad and I had read um, my poem letter from my mother, which references like, you know, like 10 years passing essentially from my father dying. And she said, you know, it's been 10 years for me and I haven't really ever let myself like, pro like be sad about it. Cause like, that's not something that my family is like, does and so and then she just started crying and then I started crying and just like I think to go back to I am going to go back to your question Luther <laughs> is, <laughs> is that like I think that there is something and with the project Landscape Park where I where people took me to places where they'd had their hearts broken I feel like trauma feels like such an isolating thing mm -hmm. grief feels so isolating but actually we all have it yeah. we all carry it and so when you can meet in that place, when you can share that, then holding it isn't so lonely. And that's actually like, I mean, I made so many friends through that project, mm -hmm. like people who are like very close and dear to me and people who I was already friends with, but I didn't know this like part of them, you know, like it, it just, it just, I, I think um, grief and trauma are terrible, but also they break you open to make you the, the truest part of yourself or like to help you find the truest part of yourself because that's when when the shit happens how you deal with it is like just shows you who you are you know so anyway long kind of maybe somewhat preachy answer to your question <laughs> no not preachy but. at all <laughs> no i love that it really is it's like the biggest lie that we're like alone with these these griefs you know mm -hmm. it's like it, it feels so true and it's just not you know like so i love i love that you created this project that was here in seattle mm -hmm. um of physically being with people and inviting them to share those stories mm. that's beautiful <laughs> Upon reading the Confessions of St. Augustine, we do things like steal, not for the objects themselves, but for the profound joy of having procured them. I mean to say, to steal the pears, mealy, unripe, and unsweet, was more the joy than the pears themselves. The first time I cheated, the taste of another man was not delicious. The warmth of his ecstasy in my mouth was not delicious, but my betrayal was like honey. The arc of my body resigned and rising at another's touch meant that I could never fully be anyone's. And that 
felt like life, made me feel alive, restoring all the little ways you killed me. Our life then, was it not a series of little murders? The metallic scent of us like blood in our bed, the two of us swimming in blood each night. Who can say now if we ever loved each other? Looking back, there are only sad walls. More vivid are all the times I escaped you. How I loved the sordidness of sex in places not meant for sex. Dingy sheds, late drunken alleys, every cliche you could never imagine. I never told you. All those moments had nothing to do with love, had everything to do with how little you loved me. You cheated on me more times than I can count. Still, my infidelities, each one I kept for myself. Unripe fruit ripening in the dark, savoring its eventual sweetness and its eventual rot. Mm. Mm. I love that poem so much. Thanks. Um, can mm. I ask why y'all picked that one? What was... Well, I, I was interested in a lot of things about this poem, but I, I wanted to hear you talk a little bit about your relationship to the confessional as mm. you see it or, or mm. this idea of confession. I mean, the, the title of this poem um, originates in the Confessions of St. Augustine, but anytime there's the word confession right. in relation to poetry, it brings up that tradition. The confessional tradition right. we think of with, you know, Plath Lowell and Sexton. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think, you know, that word as it applies to poetry has gone through lots of mutations since then. Mm-hmm. And then there are different resonances now. And um, I would love to hear for you personally what sort of sorts of resonances you have with the word confessional, with confessional poetry. Yeah, I mean, I think... I don't know. I don't place too much attachment to the tradition, though. I mean, I have studied it. Like when I was in grad school, maybe that's where the influence comes from. But we um, there was a seminar on the confessionals, you know, or confessional poets. And we read Lowell. We read we read all of Lowell, which was a lot. Wow, <laughs> like we read Lowell and like we read Lowell redoing himself, you know, because he published books and then redid them and published them again because he could you know funny I feel like no one reads Lowell now yeah yeah um and no I mean and I I haven't since then but I will say the study of it and and Bishop in particular and the two of them in conversation I think was interesting because they're so different but they were really good friends and they there there's like that book words on air or of air of their letters that they wrote back and forth to each other it's just interesting how like I don't know there are different things with mental health and like Anyway, whatever. So I'm going on a tangent again. But my relationship to confessional, I just sort of think of it as, like, I think there's this thing in in poetry outside of people who are poets themselves where you're often assigned an autobiographical, like, oh, like, obviously I did all the things in this poem. You know, like, <laughs> how people, when you read... Or that's the conceit. Yeah. Right, right. That, like, if, but um, I think the, the artifice of confession is something that is really powerful because it creates immediate intimacy with your audience and your reader. And it kind of, it kind of creates a shorthand of vulnerability that interests me in terms of what's possible um, for emotion and, and narrative that can be, um, you know, like multiple true things at the same time. 
Yeah. And Sexton said some great thing in an interview once that was like, if I actually did all the things I said I did in my poems, I would never have time to write the poems, <laughs> which <laughs> That's I love. A good one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, my question, uh, next question is a selfish one. <laughs> uh, I want to ask about including Tagalog in poems. Okay. Um, yeah. Because I've recently started to. Oh, nice. Um, it's a little troubling for me because I'm not particularly fluent in Tagalog. I mean, a lot of people who use Tagalog aren't. Right, it's like very taglish. Yeah, um, but I, which is its own language. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the way you include uh, non-English words in the book feels very natural to me. Um, and one of the effects being in particular that it evokes like both history and fable while also remaining contemporary. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Uh, in a Poetry Northwest interview, you said, too, that at some point you stopped feeling that you needed to translate words or even marking them as different somehow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so <laughs> on a personal level, does the self-doubt of including <laughs> these words in poems ever go away? Um, mm. And then maybe more useful to everyone else. Um, I guess like for you, when you encounter a word in a poem you don't know, how do you read that? And sort of in the making of this book, like what lessons about meaning making um, mm. and illegibility like, have mm. you sort of come to terms with? Oh, that's such a good, wow, so many good questions. So I feel like, I mean, this book is is uh, 10 years in the making, so I feel like certain things have changed. Like, I feel like when I first started writing, I italicized everything because I was so insecure about, because I was always in these white spaces, like, will these white people understand what I'm trying to say? And, like, just trying to, like, hold the reader's hand. And now I'm like, fuck your hand. <laughs> we have Google. We have Google. What the fuck is Use wrong that with hand you? Yeah. to type on your computer. Yeah, you can literally, I mean, fuck, you know? Don't, I'm not explaining shit to you anymore. That's how I feel For now. Sure. But, but it took me a long time to get there. And I don't, you know, like there are certain things that like, like a word can be translated and like language, as we know as poets, is like so fluid and like, layered right so just because you look up the word doesn't mean you'll get get it fully and you know what i'm okay with that i'm okay that there are layers of experience in the poem i'm okay that someone can get somewhere deeper than other people can't because that's what life is like Mm. that is what kin means that like i can use a shorthand and i don't have to explain it to you and my not having to explain it to you means you get something richer out of it and that is beautiful to me. And if you want to work to get there, great. Yeah. That's, that's great. your work. That doesn't yeah, have to be that's yeah, not my work. The author's no. work. No. Yeah. But so I would say, so to your to your question about the self-doubt about it, I think just lean into it. I feel like one one of the things is like just letting that be a part of the poem, even. Like, uh, this I'm not sure if I'm using this right. Or like what like I feel like something that's really fun about Tagalog for me personally is like there are words that like they mean like like they literally mean one thing but the sound of it I'm like that sounds like this English word so I'll just put that one like you know it just becomes a game Mm -hmm. like I guess my advice would be like fun have fun play like like you're lucky in that you have access to more language that can be that's like a part of you but that you're still like juggling but like the juggle is the fun part i guess yeah 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 no that's what i've been thinking about a lot lately especially with the tagalog english slang like it just feels i i'm really struck there's a um for you guys there's a thing (laughs) in tagalog english where for emphasis you like reverse the letters or like the syllables sometimes like let's go becomes go let's 
Yeah. Um, and yeah. so like a play, like what you say about play is particularly like resonant with me because I, in the way that I am sort of grappling it, grappling with Tagalog English in particular, there is a ton of play. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and you know, that is such a very dramatic departure, I think from where you initially started, mm-hmm. right. In terms of mm-hmm. holding, holding someone's hand, like when did play then enter? I think when I, like, I feel like getting older, like, helps, has helped me, like, stop giving fucks. Like, <laughs> um, that. yeah. that's, I think it's, like, <laughs> in tandem, you know, like, I've, it's interesting because this book is a record of my going through that, of, like, being insecure and being worried about being understood and then growing into, like, if you want to come get, you know, like, you're lucky if you get to kind of a an attitude and you know I mean of course I sound much cockier now saying it (laughs) (laughs) I've had this nice drink in front of me (laughs) but um I think that it just takes time and practice like practice Mm -hmm. of um and also like having a community around you that like supports that and reifies Mm -hmm. that um I think is is in tandem with that so yeah I don't know when it happened. It just sort of happened. Like, like I don't know when I turned 36. It just sort of happened. <laughs> like, when did that happen? Fuck. When did that happen? But it did. Yeah. And I am. Time's so. a hoax. Yeah. 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 I love that. Um, my question I have is going to be about the black pages in your book. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all take the, the Q&A, right, form. Um, and so I really want to talk about the idea of fromness. Uh, and how that mm-hmm. is a theme in the book. And in the past interview, we have somebody, uh, we've talked about fromness a lot, like the idea of... Nabila. Nabila, yeah, the fraughtness of fromness or something yeah. like that. And Ooh, so I love that phrase. It was phrase. so, it was so fraughtness good. Fraughtness of um, fromness. Damn. And even in the, the poem, <laughs> the black poem uh, Q&A on page 46, there's a question that says, uh, why did you stay? And mm. So the idea of fromness and also the idea of where you're going after heartbreak is like really like centered in the book. So I want to talk about really about like how fromness or the idea of fromness really challenges your idea of heartbreak or uh, the mm. idea of moving past something. Mm. Ooh, again, good <laughs> question. So, I mean, I think that for for me in particular, but I also think, um, you know, I think it's part of um, being Asian American that fromness has fraughtness because though people have been in this country for decades, I mean, centuries, mm-hmm. our faces are always seen as are always needed to be, ex- we always have to explain ourselves. We always have to, our, fra- our fromness is fraught, right? And um, in regards to how that, enters the conversation of heartbreak, I think that, I mean, I guess it it kind of ties to with the landscape heartbreak thing, the idea of like moving through your trauma or moving through your grief. Oh God, Luther, that's such a big question. I don't even know how to like exactly answer it, but I think it has something to do with, I mean, I don't think that um, processing trauma is necessarily linear right because like like going through something indicates that you start at point a and point b but i think it's kind of more like like waves that you maybe you go out it's like the ocean right like it's all part of that but sometimes there are waves that will capsize you and sometimes it's calm and like it's it's like in constant motion but sometimes it's peaceful and sometimes it's turbulent and there's a lot you cannot control. So I think it maybe has something to do with that, like this idea of um, not being stationary, but, but like 
contained by something or held by something, even as you're moving within it. I don't know. That answers my question. Thank you. I'm yeah. also curious about the Q&A format itself and how, like, I want to know how you thought about using the Q&A poems as a way to, like, guide sp- readers through um, the book and mm-hmm. the narrative. Can I talk, more, talk about that a little bit? Yeah. yeah. Or what that form broke up in for you personally. Yeah. 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 Thank you for that question. So the first one that I wrote is actually the last one in the book. And, um, you know, as an Asian American person who's lived in lots of very white spaces, that those three questions that are in that book, oh, where are you from? Oh, okay, but where are your parents from? But Mm -hmm. where are you really from? Nothing, well, there's a lot of shit that annoys me, but like those three questions in that specific order, ooh, I just fucking hate that. (laughs) I just want to push people over when they do that. Because it's mm-hmm. it's so full of entitlement and ignorance and like just like I don't know like anyway so the Q and A form came from like my processing my annoyance and anger at that series of questions and then um, it became like I don't know I just it was like kind of a fun way to play like because you know it's like uh, like fuck you I'm not gonna answer what you want. I'm going to say two green coconuts hatched inside muscle cars, not made for but driven in the snow, asshole. You know, like, (laughs) that's what I'm going to say instead. Figure it out. Or, like, why does it even fucking matter to you? Mm -hmm. So, you know, like, kind of changing the dynamic of power in that interaction and making it, like, controlling my narrative, you know? And so that's where that came from. And then the other two... Like the first one was just like a really fun language exercise that be that like led its way to something deeper. And then the second one was like me processing, you know, leaving an abusive relationship and figuring out because there's so many questions when you are abused, there's so many questions you ask and you cannot answer. And your whole life is a question you can't answer. And so the form kind of felt like a way to like yeah like figure something out for myself like go i'm making this the motion i was making when i was talking about that ocean (laughs) like it's you know it's like you can't the first time you think about leaving you don't leave you think about it and you think about it you think about it you think about it and it takes a long time took me a really long time to leave Mm. so i think the q a was like me having a conversation with myself especially in that poem about like what the fuck are you doing? You know, like, why are you in this? And so just, yeah, figuring that out. And in terms of them being black pages in the book, um, so I, you know, I placed them in the manuscript where they are. And actually, Kenji Liu, I don't know if y'all mm-hmm. know yeah. him. So he's a book designer also. And he wow. did the book design for this book. It's beautiful. And it was his idea to use the black page. And I was like, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. This is beautiful. You know, because I feel like each one anchors each section which then kind of creates an anchor for the whole book and um yeah I just yeah he just did a really beautiful job so I felt very um appreciative and indebted to him for that that's beautiful yeah I love that visually it's this inverse flip that happens um and also the form feels a little bit like an inverse flip in some ways to me in relation to the rest of the poems in the book. So I think it's a very smart aesthetic choice. And, um, well, yeah, actually, works well, really he well. should say that his, his <laughs> choice. Yeah, but Kenji just came by, said thanks. Yeah, and, thanks, and Kenji. Then left. Bye, um, Kenji. <laughs>
Q&A. Why did you stay? My feet were ashen, and he hid my shoes. I was too ashamed to leave the house. How did you know you loved him? I'd wrap the phone cord around each of my thighs and pull the distance we spoke across upon my sex, willing his mouth to echo there. How did you know he loved you? His dancing hands left the steering wheel, and somehow we kept going. He hid country roads in the private windows of his search engines, his thumbprints on everything, the bed foam, the eggplants, the threadbare sponge, the corners of my eyes. He pressed and pressed like pressing was what his life was for. Why did you stay? There were certain verbs I couldn't remember. Leave, eat, sleep, retreat. Everything became repeat, repeat, repeat. Mm. How did you leave? Even when I left my body, I stayed. I walked in circles along a river path and marked distance by the height of the grasses until I couldn't, until the acres of green went farther than I could continue, stretching out like the sea. How did you leave? Now this little, now that little. I paid attention to accumulation. I could not stop asking, is he a trap who doesn't know? Is the trap who he is? Does that kind of cruelty live inside a person's blood? Thank you. I love how the answer ends in questions, and mm -hmm. so this poem becomes like a loop on itself in the way that this relational situation feels so much like a loop, and how the questions why did you stay also repeat there's just there's so much smart ugh, there's so much smartness formally happening in this poem that's lending emotional weight to what's already so emotionally devastating yeah, Aww, yeah it's mm. like a certain reclamation of power um, yeah which i mean I feel while like also being very vulnerable yeah. yeah yeah absolutely which again speaks to even like the aesthetic choice of the black of the white on black and, yeah. and so much of i think what the book is like really interested in mm. but the repetition is what i love about this poem too and how yeah. you literally already say like everything became repeat yeah repeat, repeat and it's enacting that in the poem it's like the ars poetica it's not an ars poetica yeah that i really love Aww, um, oh y'all are so smart readers thank you so mm. much <laughs> Thank you, Michelle, for coming over to hang out with us and for doing a handstand off the table. Y'all, let me tell you, it was a perfect uh, chef's kiss handstand. Perfect tip. Listeners, we love you. Who, if you're feeling cute and sexy and luxurious in your loungewear, no pictures, please. If you want to make our day, leave us a five-star rating. You know what? Actually, see the pictures. Yeah. Yeah. I'm into it.
I'm into it. Let's, let's do that. And you know, while you're sending us those pictures, give us a five-star rating, press a review on iTunes, or you know, wherever. And also, obviously, follow us on Twitter at Pod and send other things with your pictures, like fan art or, I don't know, your favorite leaf or something. Send that to the Pod at gmail.com. I think they should mail us their favorite leaf. <laughs> oh, please. Like oh, the, the physical that. copy. Yeah, I want yeah, them to give us a leaf. Yeah, oh, I want to from their version of their leaf. Yeah, if you have to wait till fall for it to be like the perfect tone and color yeah. that is your favorite, then do that. That's oh, fine. We'll yeah. Great. Time is a construct anyway. We'll have received it in the past already. <laughs> I am, have, and do, will appreciate it. <laughs> Can maintain folding origami, making crane cranes. Got a thousand wishes on my brain, brain. I put salt in the water when I'm cooking up the pasta. Trying to keep me quiet, but you know it's gonna cost ya. Cause I cook them proper, redder than a lobster. Go make bait, but my mama was a mobster. You wanna weaponize this? Gonna show you these hands, gonna take on these streets, gonna show you who's man's, cause my crew mob steady, Feddy and spaghetti, Feddy and spaghetti, Feddy and the.